can we change the world? Because it seems like, look, this is a little, we're just a new baby church, but we can change the world one life at a time. And so yesterday what was really exciting and one of the things that we're committed to do as a church is helping those that are hurting or less fortunate is we had a, uh, an outreach day with um, a teen recovery home. And so it was fun. We all went and painted rooms and uh, deep cleaned and weeded and things like that to kind of fix up their place and to bless those teenage girls, which again is kind of cool, teenagers. It's not all about teenagers, though, but I'm definitely blessed to do things <laughs> for teenagers. So anyway, so thanks for bearing with me. That's what I'm excited about right now in our World Changers series. Yeah, cool. You guys excited, too. Okay, cool. I like it. I like it. Um, today, what you know, we've been talking about the fact that sometimes we relate as far as helping other people, as taking it on ourselves, is, is like, like as if we're, it's up to us to like be the savior or rescue people. And that can be a burnout, right? If you've ever tried that, like taking it upon yourself, somebody else's pain, hurt, etc. Because we're limited. We're limited as far as how much we can make a difference. And so we've talked about that we want to, as much as possible, help people to know who Jesus is and his love. Because if they get to know him, you know, that I've experienced and many of us here have experienced that there's healing and change in that. But sometimes when you think about it, I don't know about you guys, have you ever thought, well, I can't really talk about my faith or, or talk about Jesus because I don't really know anything. <laughs> you know, I just, sometimes you might go, I don't even know quite if there's Jesus is real or not, but I know that things that I'm starting to do in, in applying the Bible are working in my life and I'm seeing some healing. So who am I? What can I say? I don't even know nothing. So, um, kind of thing. Anybody ever feel like that? Like, uh, yeah, I got, so. I want to talk today because one of the most powerful things that you can do is actually to tell your story. And I want to talk about some records in the Bible that there's power in sharing how Jesus has touched your life, even if it is something brand new to you, or honestly, even if it's just sort of at the beginning of the journey where you're exploring things, and, but you're sensing some freedom, you're sensing some grace, you're sensing some love, and things like that. And so I want to first take you to a story that I'm touched by because um, in the Bible, the culture of those times, women were, were thought of as being very lowly. You know, there was just not a lot of room for, for women in the culture, and that had nothing to do with God. It's just, you know, people were being narrow-minded in the way that they looked at people, just the same way that... that you know, oftentimes people are, are racist and biased against other people that way. Um, and so this is a story of a woman that had a big impact, a woman in that culture that had a big impact that I want to look at uh, in Samaria. If you go to John chapter 4 and verse 7, it says, a woman of Samaria. And actually, we've talked about the woman thing. Here's another thing. Samaritans were thought of as being... They were hated. They were thought of as being lesser, less than human beings, really. You know, and I think it, it was a very, the, um, the Jews had hatred and loathing towards the Samaritans and really despised them. But also, um, they thought of them because they were um, people that were um, half Jews, because people from other nations came in and, and so they looked at them like, you're not real Jews. You know, you're not our people. You're kind of 
piece of crap, really. I mean, they treated them like dogs. They thought they were dogs. Um, you know, really heartbreaking when people look at other human beings that way. Uh, but that, that was sort of, so we've got two strikes against her in a way of this culture. She's a woman and she's a Samaritan. So it says that she came to draw, woman, uh, draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And then in verse 9, it says, the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So this is kind of, she gets the shock of this. This is like, your people don't talk to my people. You know, I, I think about it that, um, you know, just some of the extreme racism that happened in, in, in our country, in the founding and earlier days of our country, and, and, um, uh, and it just, just that kind of loathing. It was that kind of thing where she was just saying, you're talking to me? Like, your people don't do that. Your people hate my people, do you know? And just like we're, and she knew how the Jews thought of them. Uh, they were aware of that. And so she was just shocked. Even in the point of him asking for a drink was a demonstration of love and acceptance that was culturally completely unacceptable. It was crossing a huge cultural, you know, barrier that was there for him just to say, give me a drink. And so you see by her shock, her reaction. And then it says in verse 10, it says, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So this is kind of funny. This is like, <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's almost like a riddle or something. It's just sort of like, well, if you knew who's asking you, I'd give you water that's living water. She's like, what are you talking about? You know? It's just like, and she says that, really. She's just sort of like, wait, I'm the one with the bucket. You don't got a bucket. She says that, actually. She says, um, in verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? So it's kind of like, you're kind of talking gibberish right now. I don't understand. But what's kind of cool with the woman in a way that, that I love, and you see how this plays out, is that there was a hunger in a way and a curiosity. I also, like honestly, I was sitting there thinking, I, I think some of this stuff in the Bible, i go, why did he even approach it that way? You know, like what a funny way to approach it. Like if you knew who was here, you'd ask me for water. You know, like, and not just any water, you'd ask me for special living water. And um, so, <laughs> so anyway, it's like, oh, what is that about? So um, it's just sort of like, it's kind of interesting because it's like he doesn't talk her head off in a way. Like he's not like, let me preach you a sermon, lady. Like, let me tell you all about, you know, salvation or something. I don't know. Um, but he says something to kind of get her attention. But also kind of, he just puts like a little, I don't know, like a little snack out there and see, you know, see if she goes for it. You know, like if, if there's some curiosity or some interest. So then in verse 13, it says, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water, the water in the well, will thirst again. You'll get thirsty again. That's usually how it works with water. And then um, <laughs> you drink that, you will get thirsty again. She's like, tell me something I don't know. And then, no, she <laughs> And then in verse 14 it says, But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him 
will become in him a fountain of living, living water springing up into everlasting life. So, wow. Um, and then the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. I just like, it just hits me, her hunger, her eagerness, how much, like with just a little bit, she's like, that sounds really great. I would like to hear some more of that. I could use water like that. You know, that, and it's interesting because um, in John 7, it talks about the fact that the living water is what's to come. The living water that he speaks about in John, it says, is the gift of Holy Spirit, that it's possible when Jesus died and ascended, that we could get born again and receive the Holy Spirit, that we could receive the gift of God, be born again, and constantly and forever have a connection with God. That's why we wouldn't ever thirst again, that it's living water, that it's life-giving, and that it gives eternal life, and that we have a permanent connection with God. That's the beauty. It's just like, he's talking big stuff. It's just, you know, it touches me too. That he shares something so big about what God's been planning for thousands of years with this woman of Samaria. Not some big fancy dude. You know, not somebody with all the credentials, not the fancy people. But this woman of Samaria. Um, so it's just like, but that, you know, God doesn't care what your pedigree is or what your race is or your nationality. God says that anybody that hungers and thirsts will be filled. You know, you hunger and thirst for God, God will fill you. And so the fact that, the, that Jesus the Savior, that that's who was important to him, that that's who he had one-on-one -on -one time, he spoke to thousands, he healed thousands, but the person he reaches out to is somebody that was despised by the world that was thought of as having no value at all. You know, somebody that was thought of as being a dog, not even a person, because that's, that's how they saw the Samaritans. Um, anyway, let's go to uh, verse 16. It says, Jesus said to her, <laughs> go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have said, well, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. Is that you spoke truly? This woman was pretty scandalous on top of it all. For their culture, imagine that. This is a woman that had five husbands and is living with a man now that is not her husband. We're just talking, you know, it gets worse and worse as far as, like, what, how people would have viewed her. Um... And so this part of it that's powerful, that speaks to her, is that God spoke to him and gave him revelation about her and her background and what that is. So there's a few things that just her, him saying that demonstrates is understanding, acceptance, unconditional love, grace. You know, he's like, I know this about you and I'm not running away. Whatever your background, whatever your history, you know, it's just like, I'm not going anywhere. In fact, he pursued her even in having this conversation. Not only didn't she repel him, but he sought her out. So he says this to her. And then in verse 28, 
it says the woman then left her water pot because he, you know, and which is also kind of a big deal because there's value in that. So it's kind of like what she's doing, her work, et cetera. She's, it's like dropping your wallet and running, you know. That's how excited she was. She left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? She doesn't even know, but she's so excited about what she tasted a little bit of his goodness of it and his love and his grace that she just had to drop the water pot, run and tell other people. She didn't know anything. She didn't know any Bible. She didn't, she didn't even know if it was really the Messiah or not. She just had tasted a little bit of the love of the grace and just was like, oh, I've been despised my whole life in this man comes and loves me and accepts me and tells me about my life. He, has, he understands. He sees all and understands and accepts me. So she just couldn't wait to tell everybody. And look at the impact that this has. So what happens is they went out of the city and came to him. They're like, let's go. And um, we got to see this, you know, if it's, if it's the Messiah. It's, it, you know, it's funny because for them to have been, it's a woman too, you know, for them to have heard her, because think about it, in the book of Acts, when the women were saying that they saw Christ, you know, and uh, in his resurrected body, the, the men were saying, yeah, you're just silly women. You guys are, you know, you're just women. So it's just kind of like, you know, because he appeared first to the women. And so, um, uh, so it's kind of interesting, like, it makes me think that whatever she said, she must have just been so real or something that they said, let's go. You know, this is just like on one woman's word that these men would all go follow her to the well to see what's up and if this is the Messiah, which is definitely hunger on their part as well. And then it says in verse 39, it says, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. That's all that we're called to do, really, is to testify of what God's done for us. To testify that we have experienced and tasted Jesus and his love in whatever way that is, even if it's brand new. All these people in the city, it changed a city. This one woman changed a city because she didn't keep her lamp under a basket. We talked about being a light of the world, that she didn't like take her light and go, oh, well, you know, maybe I just like hoard it a little bit and see how this plays out for a while before I reach out to other people. Man, if you got something good, share it, right? Like, what do we got to be stingy for? You know, we don't, we're stingy, it's not good. Okay, so she changes the city, it says. And it says, because of the woman who testified. Testify, you know, in court, what that is, it's testifying. It's saying what you've seen. That's all you got. All I know is, maybe, it's that, maybe that's all you got. All, hey, I don't know the Bible. I don't know. I do know the Bible, but maybe I'm saying, like, <laughs> but you can, I'm saying, like, you know, you don't have to know it to testify. You don't got to know the Bible. You just go, yeah, I don't know. It's just like the blind man that was healed by Jesus. He says, I don't know if he's a prophet. I just know I'm healed. I have no idea, you know, in the testifying, in that story. That's another example of somebody just telling their story. I don't know what his credentials are. I don't really care. All I know is I was blind and now I see, you know. Testifying is just talking about what you've seen that you were a witness to. 
And then in verse 40, it says, So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and know that he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So it's kind of cool because it's like they believed her enough to check it out. Because that's all that you can do, right? You can't go, hey, it's just like, I don't know, you know, why don't you check? You know, you got people you love, say, hey, I'm getting blessed. I don't know, why don't you just check? Then as they get to know Jesus, then it's more of an experience that you're going, wow, now I know. I have checked out getting to know who Jesus is, and I see it. I see it. So it's pretty cool. Let's go to another one. This is a messy story. And sometimes we think that the story, you know, it's funny, like, we think it's supposed to look all nice and tidy, you know, etc. I don't got a nice and tidy life. My life, you know, like, coming to know Jesus was messy. It was messy, you know, and pretty dark place coming to know Jesus, and even in the process of growing with Jesus. It was messy along that road. And so this is a great messy story. Um, In Acts 26 and verse 4, this is Paul, and he's been taken in front of the king, King Agrippa, when he was arrested. When he uh, was preaching in Jerusalem, they they, they captured him and and, uh, took him to prison. And he's talking to... uh, the king now. They, he's making his appeal before the king. In Acts uh, 26 and verse 4, it says, and so he tells a story. This is all that it is. We're going to do the whole story, but I'll kind of skip around so you see some of the highlights. It says, my manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. So it's kind of interesting. Paul's kind of like, there's a dichotomy here um, in in his background in some ways, because in his world, he was a rules follower. He was the guy that did it all right. You know, goody, goody, right? It's just like, I did it right, check off the box, I'm a religious, I go to church, I, you know, that kind of thing. Like, all the stuff that you're supposed to do. And Paul, there was a piece of that in his background that in his culture and among the Jews, people would have respected. He's a Pharisee. He's somebody that's doing the right stuff, right? And then here's another part of his story. So part of it's the, that part. And then the other part that he shares in verse 9, it says, Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. In verse 10, it says, This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So there's a few things here. Paul persecuted God's people so much because he was so religious that he thought that the answer was, if you don't believe my way, you deserve to die. It reminds me of what's going on with ISIL right now. That's how extreme it was. Although he was doing something publicly accepted in his culture, but it was evil and dark. 
He's thinking. He's got the stamp of approval of the people in charge to do something that's evil. He's sitting there saying, part of my history was I grabbed Christians out of their homes who were worshiping and praying and dragged them into prison, and I even voted to put them to death. It's just, can you imagine, you know, like what that is to live with that? That this is some, you know, I just like, you know, and you hear in, in, in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the epistles, that he tasted the grace of God because when he realized how evil, like he got pierced with how evil what he was doing was, it's just like he repented and changed and had to live with the memory that he treated God's people in the most brutal, evil ways. It reminds me of John Newton. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, which is a song that lives today, hundreds of years later, that still speaks in, in our culture today. That man was captain of a slave ship. And he knew God's grace because he saw what he had done to people and the harm and the evil that he did to people and realized that God loved him anyway. And he knew he was undeserving of that love. Because it can't, because the real is it, it's very much like what was going on here with Paul. He's killing people, putting them to death. Good people that have done nothing wrong. And had a wake up call when he met Jesus. John Newton had a wake up call when he met Jesus and knew his love and knew his compassion. Paul had a wake up call when he saw Jesus and his love. It says in, in, and then he talks about his story. So here he is, he talks about his history, talk about messy. You know what, I've done some bad things. I, I, haven't, I haven't killed people. You know, I haven't brutalized people. God's grace is for everybody. Anyone can be saved. In, in Acts 26 and verse 12, it says, while thus occupied, meaning he was on his way to do his little killing, pulling people into jail thing. He's on his way. As I journeyed to Damascus with authority, because he's saying he was even, he was so passionate, he traveled to other places to do this. It's like, a, it's evil. And in verse 13, it says, At midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me, saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So it's just kind of like, it's really interesting because he's on Damascus and Jesus is just fed up with this. So it's kind of like, so he has an experience which I... You know, you have to think, what would this be like that the light that was brighter than the sun that threw them all to the ground from where they were, uh, Paul even goes blind from it, from this experience, it says in another part of the scripture. And so what that means is it hard to, for you to kick against the goats. It's the way that they trained and disciplined oxen. And so what they would do is they were teaching them to, to, to take the, the plows is, um, or whatever it is that they were hauling, is that they would have goads that if the ox would rebel, 
it would get it would get cut with the goads. So it was kind of like you're fighting against something you can't win, you know, kind of thing. It's just like you're just gonna you're just you know hurting yourself kind of thing. So that's what it's speaking about. And then it says in verse 15, it says, "So I said, Who are you, Lord?" And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. And I love this. I was just thinking about this, that Jesus was relating to it as, you, you hurt my people. It, you, it's like me. It's, it's like you're attacking Jesus. That's how he's relating to the fact that Paul was hurting, you know, the Lord's people. It's like, you hurt them, you hurt me. It's just like, um, it says... But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness of both the things which you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. And again, that's what it is. We are called to testify of what we've seen, that's all. Not to be big, you know, like we've got to have all the Bible answers. That's good at some point, but it's just like, honestly, the big thing is just testifying of what you've seen. And it says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. And then it says that his calling, Paul's calling, Jesus is saying, is to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So everybody's got a, some kind of calling to make a difference. Jesus is saying, and not everybody says yes. Everybody has got the calling. It's not like Paul said yes because he got called, you know, or he, it's not like he got called because Jesus knew he was going to say yes or what have you. There are people in the Bible that are called to do things, and they say no because we have free will. Everybody God has called in some way to make a difference, to spread the love, to spread the light, to change lives, to be a world changer. Every single human being is called to that. And it's up to us if we do it or we stay in a little cocoon, you know, and just say, oh, just put my light under a bushel, you know. Here's my light, but I'm going to just put a basket over and not share it with anybody. But Paul said yes, and Paul made a difference. But here was the calling, and this is really, as far as the, like what God's heart is in giving us the ministry of reconciliation. And we, every single person has the ministry of reconciliation, whether they walk it out or not. That's a calling. And God's heart, this is not just to the Apostle Paul. This is for everybody, because God, the, the Bible says that the world and why it's so screwed up, it says that Satan is the God of this world, that he's running things. That's why there's darkness. That's why there's hurt. That's why there's pain. But we get to choose God for healing, for light, etc., where God will provide for us. It's free will choice. So God's heart is, it says, for all people to be saved or made whole and come to a knowledge of him, a knowledge of the truth and the knowledge of him. It says the, his heart is to open their eyes so you can see. There were definitely times, you know, and opening your eyes is in some ways like a process. Have you noticed that? That there's different times in your life that you're like, wow, was I blind. Man, what was I thinking? You know, when our perspective is like we don't see something that's right in front of our face. It happens all the time when it comes to where God's leading us in truth. 
if we're stubborn, if we're closed-hearted, if we've got a wall, God can show you something right before your face, and if your eyes are closed and you don't want to see it, you're not going to see it. But God's heart is for everybody to have their eyes open to see, to have freedom, it says. To turn them from darkness to light. We talked about that a couple weeks ago, about what darkness was and what was light. Some of the elements of light are love, truth, etc. God's heart is, and that's a process. It's not like a one, like, wave a magic wand. Okay, I'm totally light now. It's a process of coming from darkness into light it says, in our growth. Because if you think about light being love, truth, the things of God, and from the power of Satan to God, God's heart is, we are in the world that Satan runs, but you know what, God's bigger. If we choose God, God can absolutely cover us so that we don't have to be attacked by the things that Satan does. That we don't have to be affected or, you know, have our life run by, by the, you know, the power of Satan. And forgive, receive, this is great too, receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance of those that are sanctified. Those are a couple things that we are to receive forgiveness as well as inheritance. Think about that. God's got riches in, in our, of what God has for you in our lives now and for eternity. That there are riches that he has in store I've seen that. It's just sort of like when I've trusted God, there's like a lot of things I was stubborn, dug my heels in, didn't want to see. And I was just like, okay, God, I'm going to try it your way. And I'm like, oh, man, there were goodies over here. There were some riches that God had in store for me in my life. One was my husband. It's like part of my riches. So um, anyway, so in, in closing, there's just a couple things that I want, you know, you don't have to be some Bible thumper to share what Jesus has done for you. Or even if you're just even exploring and don't know if Jesus is Lord or Savior or anything, you can still even share, just like the woman of Samaria, Samaria goes and just say, I don't know, but it's good. I'm seeing something good. Come and see. Come and see. Come to the big day. <laughs> On the 28th. We're going to talk about letting it go. It's a great time to invite new people. Just tell your friends, come and see, come and see. And all we, can sh all we have to share is what we've seen, what we've tasted, whatever it is. It could be at the beginning. It doesn't have to be all fancy. No fancy words, nothing like that. You know? Just tell what you've seen, what you've tasted, what you've experienced. Your, your story is one of a kind and special. How God's worked in your life and what you've seen and who you've caught is one, one of a kind. There are things and ways that God's touched you that you'll be able to touch another life that nobody else will impact them the same way that you will be able to. Because God made you one of a kind. Your story and how he's worked in you is one of a kind. Nothing else like it. So it's how we can share that with others to share the light and pass on the healing. So I want to do something, but I'm going to close in prayer in a minute. But you've got these cards. What I want you to do, I would like to invite you um, to take a little risk of faith here. And to take out your letting it go cards for our big day on the 28th. And to think about a couple of people maybe, you know, that you could share, come and see. You just say, come and see, come and see. And what's cool about the 28th too and what we're going to be doing with let it go is 
you know, it's absolutely going to be relevant whether somebody believes that there's a God or not a God. Because the Bible has got good stuff, you know, that's valuable, and especially in letting it go. We're going to talk about stuff. I've been putting on Facebook, like, stuff about, hey, tell me what you want to let go of. It's pretty cool because what everybody, what everybody wrote is what I'm going to teach on. So I'm like, cool. I'm tracking. I'm tracking. It's like, what do you want to let go of? I want to let go of fear. I want to let go of bad relationships of the past, you know. I want to let go of perfectionism. I want to let go of shame. We're going to talk about all those. So on these cards, if you can think about people you care about, and just pray and ask God who's on your heart that you could say, come and see. And I want you, if you can write the names on this card of people you want to give these to, I don't know, you have to try your pen. There's a little pen in there. And if you write that out, I'm going to give you a minute to do that. And when you do that, I'm going to have you hold them up, and I'm going to pray for your people. I'm going to pray for these people, for God to open their heart and stir in their hearts. Because as you share, the other part of it is God's going to stir things in that person's heart and to believe that, to believe that God will be working in someone's heart to prepare their heart to come to know him, to say the come and see, come and see. So you can write that on there. And then I'm going to, um, I, like, I like praying for this. We did it one big day. It was kind of fun. We did a big board and it was like a big whiteboard, and I told everybody, maybe we will do this next week. But I did it like early on, and our last big day um, that we had, or a couple of big days, I had everybody write all their friends' names, and I said, I will pray for these people every day. Mind you, there was like 200 people on there, so it was a lot of praying, a lot of praying. And, um, but it's cool. Um, David and Nancy put Esteban on there before he was born, so I didn't even know I was praying for Esteban. So uh, <laughs> that was kind of cool. I was like, oh, pray. You know, there was a little star by his name. I was like, oh, I don't know who Esteban is, but there's a star by his name. So <laughs> um, it's in the womb, in the womb, praying for him in the womb. So prayer is, like, really cool. It was cool, too. Like, um, like I just get, I don't know these people. They're just names to me, right? But God can work. So what I did was I prayed for everybody that was on there and just asked God what to pray for. So I would look at the names, and I would pray and just ask God, what do they need, God? And God would say, things like they need help in their relationships. I'm like, okay, God, I pray for their relationships or whatever. I don't know. I was just trying to trust God that was speaking to these people. I have no idea who I was praying for, but trying to say something besides just thanks for Esteban. Thanks for, you know, it's like <laughs> names, you know, thanks for Moshe. Thanks for Dorothy. Thanks for Bonham. Anyway, Tiffany. Anyway, Tiffany pray, um, had 10 people on there and they all came. I was just like, <laughs> I was just like, oh, it's like, she's like, yeah, those prayers worked. I was like, cool. So, um, so if you write your names, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for these people that you have on your card. Heavenly Father, I thank you right now in the name of Jesus Christ. I feel grateful. I feel grateful to know you. I love my life. I love it so much. It's so full of joy and deep relationships and sweetness and peace and life with you and I just want other people to taste that because there was a time that my life was exactly the opposite where um, I felt like the weight of the world was on my shoulders I felt trapped I felt confused um, I felt hopeless and lost and alone and God there's so many people out there that are feeling that way and so I pray right now for the hearts of the people that are on those cards or if people couldn't write with their pen because it's kind of slippery, I just pray that for whatever the heart was of who they want to give these cards to and invite to come, um, I just pray, God, that it's not just that everybody here is going to share their story or say, come and see, but also, God, that 
that you're working, that you know their hearts, you know their hearts more than we do, that whoever it is that we're inviting, you know them, you know what they need, and that you would just even stir in them something to, to open their hearts to come and know you and come into a relationship with you where there is healing and where there is grace, God. So I thank you for these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.